Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church with your Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. Hi, my name is Lynn Tipicani. This is my life story. I was raised in a traditional Navajo home, believing in a keeping balance between nature and the spirit world. There were several gods to worship, Father, Son, Mother Earth, wind, air, even animals. Everything was some kind of deity. We had ceremonies to cure sickness, to ask for help, and medicine men to pray for you. So when I needed help, I would pray, pay a medicine man to ask for healing from whichever problem that God related to. I never knew I could pray for myself. My faith and belief was in the sole hands of someone else. It was an endless cycle of doing well, having problems, then having to ask for prayer. In 2011, my marriage and life started to fall apart. My marriage was unraveling. My husband moved out. Our son, Caleb, three, year old, three years old at the time, was in and out of the hospital and about to undergo brain surgery for the second time. We just bought land and built a house and life was supposed to be great. I would seek help from medicine men and pray for their services, but never got any results. I felt lost and hopeless. Every day I would ask for healing for Caleb and for my marriage to be reconciled and desperately ask for someone to save me. Little did I know God was listening and placed someone in my life who suggested I seek out a church for support. For two months, I visited a new church every weekend and found a great community. So many blessings have happened since finding Jesus. My marriage was saved and we are more happy than ever before. This year we celebrate 11 years. Caleb is healthy, his epilepsy is under control. His last seizure was April 2015. His cerebral palsy does not affect his ability to move and his last brain surgery was three years ago. We've been blessed with one more child and she's a healthy two-year-old. Even more, my parents and siblings have found Christ. That's cool. You know what? I, again, these life stories, you know, we, we script them, no, script them, we plan them this way so that they, they can write a little script for themselves. They can write what they want to say. And so they're not just standing here going, uh, and then, you know, when I was five years old, it, they get a ch- everyone who's up here gets a chance to think through the key issues of their life and before they were a believer in Jesus, what led up to it, and then what their life has been like since. And it's, and, and everybody that comes up here is nervous. It's really cool. They'll talk, we'll, we'll come to sound check. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm really nervous. And, and in a sense, that's really what we want because we want you to see what Lynn just did. Anybody can do this. Any one of you can do this, can stand up here and share about how Jesus has changed your life. And I love what she said. She came from a background where everything was a deity. Did you catch that? Everything was a deity. When you live like that, you are then subject to creation, right? You're subject to everything that's around you because the animals are gods and the, the sun is God. But here's the crazy thing, and I'm just I'm kind of going off track here for a second. In Genesis 1-1, when it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, that verse is so critical because 
just in that one verse in the very beginning, it challenges the idea that creation has power over you, that creation is, is oppre- oppressing you, and that you are to live in subject, subjection to the, the, the forces of nature. We are not to be afraid of the forces of nature. We are not to be afraid of the sun and the moon and the animals. And, well, I guess a big animal you might be afraid of. But you know what I'm saying. These things do not have God-like powers. God made these things for us. And that's, that's a huge, massive um, kind of aha moment for the world. We would not be where we are as a, as a world were it not for that shift in understanding that comes right out of Genesis. And I love the fact that she was able to point that out as that's what she believed at one point and it didn't work. It didn't work. Why? Because they're false gods. Anyway, if you have a Bible, turn me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And today we're starting a new series called Resilience, Strategies for Building on a Solid Foundation. Now the other night, my wife and I, we were watching that show, Master Chef Junior. You know, the, there's Master Chef and then there's the Junior one with the little kids. And my wife loves this show. And, and uh, she's all into cooking and baking and everything else. So she loves watching the Food Network. But the, the Master Chef Junior is interesting because they have these little kids and they're like, like nine and ten years old. And I don't know if you've ever seen this, but the stuff that they can cook is unbelievable. I mean, I can do, I can do um, fried eggs and I can do a mean bacon, man. Yeah, I put that sucker in the toaster oven for like 15 minutes and it's great. It's wonderful. But other than that, I mean, I'm going to get somebody sick. So, it, so but, but these little kids... It's unbelievable what they can do. So we're watching and they have like, I don't know, a couple dozen of them that are all competing and they have all their little tools and whatnot. And, and there's this one kid who takes fresh swordfish and purees it in a blender. And when he does this, the, the, there's Gordon Ramsay, you know, who's like the real mean guy, but on the kids' show, he's nicer. And, and he's there with the others. There's some celebrities and whatnot, and they're all going, oh my gosh, what is that guy doing? What is this kid doing? He's, he's pureeing fish in a blender. You're never supposed to liquefy fish. Right? Are you, can we at least agree on that? You shouldn't drink fish. Right? So not that he's going to have you drink it, but he's got this puree. It's like turned into a liquid form. And they're like shocked, you know, at this whole thing. Because it's a solid food intended to be eaten as a solid food. It is not intended to be liquefied. It's like, remember that old Saturday Night Live? And a lot of you guys aren't even old enough, sadly enough, to see that. With, I think it was Dan Aykroyd. Gabe would know. But um, the, the, where they put the fish in the blender and it's like a fish shake and stuff like that. But, but it's, you're not supposed to do that with fish. So, so Gordon Ramsay, when, they, when they're finally having all the... The, the, the little contestants come up. He says, kid, look, you got some promise as a chef, but not if you keep pureeing fish, you know, fresh fish. You can't do that, you know? And so, so it was kind of a terrible, embarrassing thing for the guy, but because everybody knows that, that, that there's, there's liquid and there's solid food, and if you're going to grow strong, if you're going to, this is a, a child forms and gets, grows bigger, they start off on the liquid, but eventually they move to the solid food because that's how they grow and they get stronger, and there's certain things that are just intended to be in solid form like that, like, like fish, at least somewhat. 
what. So when you, so understanding that, when we look at this passage today, the Apostle Paul is going to challenge us to think about how we grow and build resiliency and how we get strong in our lives no matter how hard things get. And this is an important thing because we've said this a lot. At Compass Church, we don't just pray that God lightens our load and makes life easy for us. We pray that God gives us shoulders strong enough to be able to carry the things that he's asked us to carry. Do you see the difference there? It's a huge difference, right? There's a difference between I just want an easy life where I don't have to worry about a whole lot of things as opposed to going, no, you know what, God, you can load me up. You can weigh me down. You know what? For your purposes and your glory, you can do that. But Please give me the strength to be able to endure what you've asked me to do. And so it's in that spirit that we're going to talk through this stuff. So this is what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, but I, brothers, and sisters too, cultural thing, don't freak out. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not merely being human? Now, there's several things that we can pull out from this passage. The first is the contrast between flesh and spirit. And I want you to understand what he's trying to say, because he's not trying to say that the material is bad and the immaterial is good. Like, like if, it's, if it's something that's, that's three-dimensional in the real world, that that's somehow not right. And if it's immaterial, um, just spiritual, that, it's, that that is right. He's not trying to say that at all. Rather, that contrast between flesh and spirit has to do really with who is calling the shots in your life. In other words, are your appetites, is your, is, is your body, your desires, your temptations, your appetites, are those the things that are ruling you and driving your decisions that you are basically giving into and treating like God? Or is the Spirit of God calling the shots in your life? And are you subjecting your flesh to the leadership of the Spirit of God? And so this is why he calls them infants. And we all know that the minute that an infant feels the least amount of discomfort of any kind, what do they do? They scream, right? I was on a flight yesterday back from San Luis Obispo, and there was, God bless this little child, and it's not the little child's fault, but no matter, no matter what, I knew, because I was thinking about the sermon, I'm like, this is an example of a little child, that the slightest little thing that's wrong, it's just like, ah, right? I'm hungry, just even a little bit. Ah, I'm tired. Ah, you know, I just, you know, I just blew some serious chunks into my diaper. Ah, you know, I didn't feel good, right? This is what they do because they're little infants. I mean, they have absolutely zero discipline over their flesh, right? I mean, can you imagine what baby? would wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning hungry and lay there in their crib and go, you know, I could cry right now. You know, I could. I mean, everything in me just wants to just go ballistic right now. Get that woman back in here and, you know, latch on. You know, everything in me. But now that I lay here and think about it, I'm looking at, I can't tell time yet because I'm just a little baby, but I can see it's still dark out there. 
And she's been through a lot over the last six weeks, you know? Like the most painful thing a person could do. And she hasn't got a lot of sleep because of me. So if I just lay here and just be cool for like a few more hours, let her sleep, I'm not gonna die. Like no baby does that, right? If, you, if they did, you would like take them to some kind of, you know, scientist and go, we have to study this child and make some money off them or something. Because no baby does that. Because that's, they're completely beholden to their flesh. And Paul is saying, you guys are like that. When you experience the slightest discomfort, when you feel offended in the littlest way, when you feel insecure just a little bit, you just, you go crazy. You freak out on each other. And so this is what he says. This was in our passage. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? In other words, just like anybody else who isn't even supposed to be a Christian. For when, we, for when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not merely being human? In other words, they're dividing up camps and that sort of thing, pitting themselves against one another. One of the biggest indicators of spiritual immaturity among people in a church is disunity. Just got to know that. One of the biggest indicators of, of spiritual immaturity among people in a church is disunity, and disunity in two areas, in jealousy and in strife. When people are suspicious of each other and when they're jealous of each other, that is not, that is, that is like the red light going on in the dashboard that something is wrong with that individual. And so the word jealous, by the way, because I looked it up in the original Greek language, it means an intense negative feelings over another's achievements or success. Isn't that good? Intense negative feelings over another's achievements or success. Now you want to be able to gauge your ability to control your negative feelings over someone else's success or achievements. If you want to be able to have a real quick idea of how you can gauge how good you are at that, spend five minutes on social media. Right? Come on. Because social media, I, I, I've, I've never met anyone who's ever said, you know, the best thing I did today was spend a half hour on Facebook. I, I just feel so much better about myself. Nobody does that. Because everybody puts their best foot forward on that. In fact, I heard someone say, and this is so important, when it comes to social media, remember, don't compare your behind the scenes footage with someone else's highlight reel. And that's what so many people do. Because they see whatever you want, the other person wants them, wants you to see. That's all they, and they can do that online. And so you go on there and all of a sudden, if you want to know how much you struggle with this, just begin to look at that. But see, it goes even beyond that to how we see everybody in our lives. So I want to ask you this question. When you see someone in this church or anywhere for that matter, who looks like they've got it better than you, how do you deal with that? When you see someone who looks like they've got it better than you, how do you deal with that? That's a self-evaluation question. You can gauge your level of spiritual maturity based on that. Did you know that? That you can do that. And the problem is with so, so oftentimes with Christians is, is they'll say, oh, I believe in Jesus, but they can be some of the most vicious, unkind, nasty, cruel people in the name of Jesus you ever met in your life. Because deep, what they, call, what they call being concerned about someone. Oh, I, I've got a prayer request. Uh, we need to pray for this person. 
you know, and it's gossip, and it's rooted in what? Jealousy. So here's the deal. Let me let you in on a little secret. If there's someone in your life who looks like they've got it better than you, and that bugs you, that's not their problem. That's your problem. Okay? If you look around at someone who looks like they've got it better than you, and that bothers you, that's not their problem. That's not their fault. That does not give you license to tear them down. And let me tell you something. When you do that, here's the, here's the deceptive thing. When you tear another person down because you feel like somehow their success has affected you and put you down, you feel better. Like, I feel, okay, I feel more justified. I figured out how this person is actually a jerk, even though they're, they've got all these great things going for them. But I figured, out, I figured out that one little thing about them that makes them horrible, so now I don't feel so bad about myself. When you do that, that is sin. That is sin, and that is wickedness. That is not godliness. When you figure out a way to, to tear down another person, either in your own mind, in your own imagination, just to make yourself feel better, or ver- especially verbally as you spread it to other people, that is just flat out wrong. And Paul calls it out. When you make assumptions about people's motives, or what's really going on in their lives, you are merely being human because that's what everybody does. And there's no difference between you and a person who claims to have no spirituality or faith at all. They're not the ones who have offended you. A person who is successful, more successful than you, a person who's got things together more than you, they haven't done it to get you. They haven't done it against you. So when you go after them, they haven't offended you. You've offended them. Instead, instead another, another strategy that you could have in your life is to actually say, you know, it's actually good to be around people who I see as having, a, who are a few steps ahead of me because maybe I can learn from them. So if you, see, if you see a couple whose marriage looks better than yours and you're like always jealous of them because they seem like they have the perfect marriage, get to know them. Because maybe they have things in their life that they've figured out and you don't know what they've gone through, but maybe they've overcome some obstacles and they can help you. Use people that you might be, you might think are like, oh, this person, you know, I, I'm jealous of them because they have this, they have that. You know, get around them and ask them how they've accomplished this or done this or done that in their life. And that way you actually, you not only do you, do you honor them by, by getting to know them and, and honestly ask about them, but you, be, you begin to make them allies in your life because they can actually maybe help you with things. And then consider yourself privileged to be around such people. You know, I've got a friend, and I love this guy. He loves to brag about other people that he knows. And he never brags about himself, but he's always like, yeah, this guy, and he's amazing, and he does this and does that. And it was funny because one time we were talking, and he said, um, and I said, man, I said, you know so many amazing people. And he goes, yeah, Tim, but when you're not around, I, I brag about you to other people. He goes, I know this guy named Tim, and he does this, and he does that. I go, no, you don't. He goes, yeah, I do. And I go, that's so cool. I want a friend like that. I want to be around like this. He's make up a bunch of lies about me, you know? It's great. At least they're good lies. But the second thing is strife. So he talks about jealousy and strife. Now, strife has to do with taking sides over an issue for the purpose of rivalry. There's nothing wrong with, with feeling passionate about something, but when you do it for the purpose of being argumentative and just to have rivalry, to separate yourself from somebody, that's problematic. And so in particular, he's saying how some people are like, well, you know, I'm a Christian, but I'm a really better Christian because I follow this guy, Paul. And other people are going, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm a better Christian than you because I follow this guy, Apollos. And they're doing it to drive a wedge between themselves and and create disunity and create drama because everybody loves drama, right? So here's the deal. 
When you put the issue in front of the relationship, you'll never have unity. When you become an issue-driven person where the way that you relate to people is through issues and not by actually trying to, to get the heart of the person, you'll never have friends, you'll never have real unity because you'll always be talking about an issue and only evaluating whether or not you're going to accept that person by how they feel in agreement with you. And so this is very hard to do, though. Your goal should never be to win an argument, but to win a person, meaning to develop a rapport and a mutual admiration that goes beyond whatever differences that we might have. This is a hard thing to do, and it requires patience and discipline. Because you know what the problem is? Most people think that other people are interested in their opinion. Did you catch that? Most people think that other people are interested in their opinion. So they're like, well, this is what I think, blah, 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 blah. And, and everyone's like, well, okay. And they're polite, like, oh. Inside they're going, I don't care, you know. So the, one of the ways to decrease strife and build unity is, to, is to, when you're around people is to ask questions. How do you, why is it that you feel that way? Or how, how did you come to this conclusion? Or, or, or when you find out you, you get to values rather than issues. If you can get to values, because a lot of times, like, I might have a political disagreement with somebody, but I might find out, okay, we, we might disagree on politics, but here's the deal. We both want safe neighborhoods, right? We both want a neighborhoods that are safe. We just have, when we realize that, oh, that's really cool. So you, you want the same thing that I do, but we just see different ways of going about it. And then we can actually, we, we can say, okay, listen, deep down inside, we, we, we see, we, we want the same thing. We just have a, a difference of opinion on how to get there. And then you respect the person and where they come from. But, but I'm telling you, there's people out there, and what they'll do is they'll say, well, that's just the way that I am. I'm just confrontational. That's just, you know, people are just going to have to accept that. Or they'll say, that's just, and they, and, they, and they love to say, well, it's just who I am. And, you know, you'd, I just tell people, that's just who I am. You'll have to accept me. No, they don't. They don't have to accept you. And if you're wondering, like, well, I don't understand. People, I don't get people. Like, nobody likes me. What's wrong with people? It's you. If every, it's like, it's the old joke of like, if there's no black sheep in the family, guess what? You're the black sheep, right? That's the thing. So strife is something, when I'm, when I'm purposely argumentative, and so what we have to do is become people who learn how to try, can we, can we get past the issue and get to the heart of the person and listen and not talk so much, which some of you go, you're hypocritical, man, because <laughs> I like to talk a lot. But I will tell you, I will tell you, I was just with some guys earlier this week. I didn't know them all that well. And I was thinking to myself, I go, you know, how do I make sure that I, I put my best foot forward here? I want these guys to see that I'm, you know, somewhat decently intelligent. Um, and so my, my strategy was I, I did a lot of listening and I asked questions. Oh, how do you do that? How would this, and I get them talking, blah, 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 blah. And it's great. And they think, they think, well, this guy's pretty smart because he likes to listen to me. And smart people listen to me. That's how it works. So this, do you see how some of the, this is about, this is about, become, but the problem is when the flesh gets in the way and the flesh feels threatened, like this person is better than me or this person disagrees with me and oh man, and you start feeling insecure, and, uh, then you, it's like a little baby. The flesh reacts just like, just uh, like um, not with no thought and all of a sudden just stuff spews out and it's not being governed by the spirit of God. It is immaturity. And the problem is, what is an infant supposed to do, you guys? What do infants do after like a couple of months and a couple of years? They grow. It would be really bad if an infant never grew. If you saw some 50-year-old dude walking in here with like a diaper and a bottle, we would call the cops. 
I don't care how you see yourself or what you identify with. You walk in here with a diaper, you know, and wearing nothing but that, you're out of here, man. If you, you just, you're just a problem. Because you, you have, if you, you can, you'll physically grow, but if you don't actually grow in a sense and emotionally and everything else, you got some serious problems. And so what's the essence of growing up? What's the essence of maturity? It's bringing the flesh under control. Maturity is all about bringing the flesh under control, which is why when we say, when you, when you go to the bathroom, you don't just go, you wait until you what? Go to the bathroom. That's why we call it going to the bathroom. So you wait to do that. You say, because your body is like, well, you got to go. Might as well go. You go, no, 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 time out, stop, stop. Not here, not now. Got to wait, right? That's one of the first things you learn as a person. And you've done it, you know, you do it pretty well. And then my, I've been told as you get older, it starts to, you know, go back the other way. But all I'm telling you is that that's a, that's a mechanism of bringing your flesh under control in, a, in, a, in a just a purely biological way. And we know that a person that does that, they begin the road to maturity. It's, and it's every area of life. There are times at a restaurant where my wife will we go out to dinner and I'll order something and I'm not quite sure and she'll order something and she'll get, and I, I go, man, I should have ordered that. And like everything inside me wants to just start eating off her plate, right? Like just, you know, I go, I can't do that, you know? Because that would be very immature to like just eat her food, you know, unless she offers it to me. And so, but that's part Part of it. It's bringing your flesh under control. So what we could say is spiritual maturity. If you want to, what is spiritual maturity? It's really simple. It's not how many Bible verses I know or how many times I go to church, although I wish more people would go to church more often than they do. Um, but but it's, it's not so much that as it is this, becoming more like Jesus through the process of surrendering my flesh to the will of God. So spiritual maturity all it is, is becoming more like Jesus through the process of surrendering the appetites and urges and desires of this to the will of God. And right there is the difference between milk and solid food. Because milk can primarily be thought of as the basic requirements of believing in Jesus. See, this is what happens. A lot of us, maybe this was your journey. When the, the journey to Jesus is kind of like this. People will get through their life and they'll get to a certain point where they have a problem, you know? And like maybe they can't keep a marriage. You know, they can't, they can't just like, they can't stay together with somebody. You know, they have a couple of marriages and they're like, I don't know what's going on. Or their kids are out of control. Or they have some kind of addiction or whatever. But something in their life unravels to the point where they, they look around for this solution, look around, look around, look around. Finally, they look up and they go, God, I've done everything else. Maybe you can help. And then right about that time, somebody comes along and starts talking. Talk, next thing you know, they end up in a place like this. And they hear that actually God does help. Not only does he help, he transforms. And so you walk in with like, man, I got all this crud in my life and I don't know what to do and I just feel like a wreck and a mess and I don't know. And all of a sudden you hear about a God of grace who loves you and, and how God takes the, the, all of the sin and crud and crap that you wish you would have done and places it on his innocent son Jesus and it dies with him on the cross and you're like, whoa, so I have forgiveness. I have a new life. I've been reborn. This is so cool. And then, and then God takes the innocence and, and, um, and righteousness of Jesus and places it on you and you become this reborn person and you can never ever lose that right you can never get dragged off of God's plane right that was supposed to be kind of funny come on he never overbooks okay 
Once you're on the plane, you're on the plane. You can never lose your salvation, all right? Just remember that. So you're never going to get dragged off out and thrown out of the... So here's the point. So you're, oh my gosh, this is great. Now you've got to this place where you're a Christian and you believe. You believe that Jesus is my Savior. I got that. And then you're in this place where you're basically, in a sense, like a spiritual infant because you're, you've been, your spirit's been reborn. So you're, you know, but just like a, a little baby, when a little baby is born, they don't go... Wow, okay, this is cool. You know, I made it through that horrifying experience that I hope I can forget. Um, and, and, and I guess I don't know what to do from here on out. So I guess this is it. No, you'd say, well, this little baby, their life has just begun. It's not just about the fact they were born. They've got this whole life ahead of them. They've got things they can't even imagine. And so the analogy is so fitting. But it's not just about, oh, I believe in Jesus and then I'm good. And then I just kind of show up to church on Christmas and Easter and kind of manage my way to heaven, make sure I don't color outside the lines too much. And I'm telling you, you guys, 90, well, I shouldn't say 90, I don't know, but anecdotally, a large percentage of people who call themselves Christians, that is their approach to their spirituality. I checked the box. I was born Christian, like I was born, you know, Chinese or Jewish or whatever. No, 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 it's not an ethnicity. You know, well, I guess I, I'm, I'm, I identify as Christian because I'm not anything else. No, 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 no. You come to a place of belief, right? And then what happens to so many people is they go, well, I don't know what to do now, so I just, I, I'm in, I guess. So, you know, as long as I don't mess up too bad, I guess I'll stay. And that's the perception. But that's entirely wrong. You're born, so what? You're reborn, so what? You could live and you could grow and you could mature. And so, I would say this, and if you, don't get the, if you don't get anything else out of the message, get this. Infancy is believing in what Jesus did. Maturity is following what Jesus did. Huge difference. Infancy is believing. Now, nothing wrong with that. No I don't mean it bad. Infant's not bad. You don't say an infant, oh, you're, you're bad. No, it's, he's an infant. What can he do? Infancy is not bad, but infancy is believing. Okay, I get it. I'm forgiven, that's great. Maturity is following. And there are a ton of Christians out there who believe. Oh yeah, I believe, I believe in it. I believe in the big man upstairs. He paid for my sins and I'm going to heaven. But they don't follow. They don't look like Jesus at all. And Paul's saying, and that's why you guys are fighting with each other. That's why you're insecure. You're acting like a bunch of babies. Because you're not following. Because you, you haven't been eating the solid food. The solid food of what? Of following Jesus. The solid food of discipleship. The solid food of the cross. And guys, this is it. Don't put your fish in a blender. You don't need to drink the fish. You're ready for solid food. You don't need to do that anymore. This is why the closer Jesus got to the cross, the more his tone began to change. So you look at the ministry of Jesus, here's what's happening. At first, you know, he's doing miracles and he's like, he's a rock star and everybody thinks he's great and the disciples are like, woo we're gonna conquer the Roman Empire and we're gonna sit on his right and his left. We're gonna like just kick everybody's butt. And all of a sudden, Jesus starts saying stuff like this in Matthew chapter 16, 24. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. What, what, what? Do what? This is, this is pre-crucifixion, by the way. Take up your cross? You mean that thing that they crucify all the really horrible people on? That? Uh, and, and it was funny because everyone's like, uh, okay. And that's when, that's when things started. That's when Jesus started getting weird. That's when they were like, I'm not sure about this. There's a reason like the dudes abandoned him and everything else. Peter denied him. He started saying some pretty weird stuff. And they're like, I'm not sure I'm on board anymore. You know, and they got scared and everything else. 
He starts talking crazy like this. Because they're going, you guys, it's not just about believing. It's about following. It's about becoming like me. And by the way, where I'm going, it, it's not always easy. So Christian, this is where you put your big boy and big girl pants on. This is where you grow, okay? Guys, this is where you take the lead in your relationship. And you say, honey, if we're gonna follow Jesus, not just believe and go, we're gonna go to church and be Christian, if we're gonna actually follow, that means we're not living together anymore and we're not having sex until we get married. <gasps> Come on. Come on. Nobody does that anymore. It's stupid. That's just so old. Like, nobody does that anymore. You know, that's gonna cause so much chaos in our lives if we move out at this point because everything's joined together and it's just, it's gonna cause so much chaos and God doesn't, God doesn't want that. He doesn't want chaos. He wants things to be easy for us. Let's not make things hard. Really? Because I guess sweating drops of blood in the garden of Gethsemane after begging three times that the cup of suffering be taken from you and then going to the cross, that was a little disruptive too, huh? And God wanted that. Others will say we believe in Jesus, but we see him as just one of many options. Well, you know, he's, I believe in Jesus, but you know, I'm trying to say he's the only way. I mean, I'm not going to be one of those people. So you have conversations with people and, yeah, I'm a Christian, but you know, I mean, hey, you know, there's a lot of religious people out there and I'm just, you know, don't, don't pigeonhole me as one of those people. Because of that, you're kind of on the fence. I act like a Christian when it suits me, but I really haven't opened my hands and said, God, this is what you want. If this is what you want, then this is what you get, whatever it is. Because I, 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 guess, I guess when Jesus was in the garden and he said, not my will be yours. And then Jesus says, hey, when I said that, I was like not only meaning that, but I was kind of like setting an example. This is a template. You do that too. So then maturity is the flesh going, but I want this, I want that, I want to do this, I want to do that. Flesh, it's controlled and subjected to the idea of God. Listen, my flesh wants to do, just go crazy. But not, not its will, not this, your will but that's gonna cost you. Well, I, I know, that's kind of part of the deal, you know? This is the part that kills us because obedience to God is often scary and it leads us to places that we don't wanna go and it makes us feel things we don't wanna feel and it opens up the possibility that we may not get what we want. But I may not, I may not get this one piece of success that I really hoped I would get. Yeah, but like, you're obeying God. That's kind of cool. Yeah, but, uh, uh, right? See, room got quiet. You know why the room got quiet? Because everyone's going, oh, yeah, this is, this is like, this is solid food because you're like munching, right? You're chewing. You don't have time to talk because you're like, this is the, but it's nutritious, right? It's nutritious because it makes you strong. It makes you strong and it keeps you, guys, it keeps you from the pitfalls of stupidity and then what happens is we make dumb decisions and we go, oh God, I don't understand. You're supposed to be my co-pilot, man. You're supposed to be there for me. You're supposed to like help me all the time, but you're making dumb decisions because you're, you're the pilot. You're not supposed to be the pilot. You're supposed to sit in the right seat. You're supposed to sit in the back. I was going to say right seat. No, you sit in the back. You're the, you're the flight attendant. You're serving other people. Let God fly the plane. But, but I've always flown the plane. Uh, what, if he, what if he crashes it? It's God, what, what's wrong with you? You know what I'm saying? It's God. He invented air and air travel. He invented the Wright brothers. 
He's not stupid. Yeah, but, but see, this is that whole thing. And guys, by the way, this, and I know I'm like railing this, but this is a lifelong process. And I'm telling you, just yesterday, as I'm planning this message, I was, I, I was thinking about my stuff, just like little stuff that take too long to talk about. That in my own life, I'm going, but if I'm really going to do what God wants me to do here, that's right. I've got I've to surrender this. I've got to surrender this. And it's a daily thing. So my daughter recently leveled up in gymnastics. And every time one of these new gymnasts, she goes to gymnastics, I think I told you guys this a few times. She goes like 20 hours a week now and she loves it. We're not, we're not like crazy parents, like you're gonna be the next Mary Lou Retton. We don't really care. Um, you know, or Simone Biles or whoever it is now. Mary Lou Retton, I just remember her because she's on the Wheaties box, remember from when I was a little kid. Um, so when I think of gymnasts, I just think of her. But anyway, whoever it is, right? We don't, we're not like those kind of parents, but she loves it. So we're like, you know, hey, that's cool. You can do it. Well, she levels up and now what happens is she has to do new stuff because every time they level up, they got to do new skills. But every time they get to do new skills, the stakes are always higher. So, you know, when you have a little girl who's on a, on a four-inch wide beam that's four feet off the ground, and she has to flip backwards and then land on her hands and then keep flipping again and land on her feet without splitting the beam, without splitting her head, without falling off, that is something the flesh does not want to do. The flesh resists that. And so the game for the gymnast is not always physical. The game for the gymnast at that level starts to become mental. My coach tells me I can do it. My coach wants me to do it. My flesh doesn't want me to do it because I'm scared out of my mind and I've never done it. But my coach tells me I can do it and I got to try. That's the game with Christianity. That's the game. You know, is it money or is it Jesus? They don't always have to come into conflict, but they often do. Yeah, but the money, but, it, but I'm going to lose it. Is it money? You know what I'm saying? Is it the flesh or is it the spirit? Okay? And so you see these kinds of things. Because whatever, what if, when it comes to, for example, and I mentioned gymnasts, whatever, what is everything for the gymnast is obeying the coach and going places they don't want to go because that's the only way they know they can get where they need to be. And sometimes the only way that you can get where God wants you to be is through a period of great trust and difficulty. And so maturity is like, I've never done this before. I've never trusted. I've never given this up before. I've never been single this long. I've never been sober this long. I've never given this much money to God before. I've never, I've never been this long without a, without a, a job that, that, is, that is legitimate, that I, I know I, that, that's, uh, that's something that I can actually wait for the right thing to come along. I, I've never been this scared over my physical diagnosis and wanted to, to just rush and, and, and medicate myself with something that I shouldn't do just to take away the pain and the angst and whatever else. There's all all of these things I've never done, I've never done, I've never done, but that's maturity. And that's the adventure of the Christian life. And it's the only way you grow. So here's the deal. Some of us in this room are not there yet with anything. You're just checking this place out. You're like, all right, I've been in church a long time or maybe never. And you know, I'm, I, I, I'm just checking this out. I'm just here to observe. Uh, and I say, great, keep observing. Keep hearing, keep listening, open yourself up, have an open mind, because that's what everybody tells you to do, right? Have an open mind, and, and ask questions. Some of us are ready to believe today. We're ready to say, you know what? I, I, I need to be spiritually reborn. I actually need, I need forgiveness, because I, if I stood before God right now, I would be a dead man or a dead woman. I get it. And if Jesus Christ will pay for my sin on the cross, I'm saying yes to him today. If I know 
that I can have forgiveness of my sin and I know that I can be a child of God and I know that I can make things right with him through the cross of Jesus. I, sign me up. I'm good. That's wonderful. There's a, there are others of us who've already done that. We say, yeah, I believe that. I get that. But you haven't grown up and you haven't even started. And you're putting your fish in a blender. And it's gross. And it's not helping you. And you're not growing. Because you're ready for solid food. And there's decisions in your life. There's things going on in your life that you know right now. You know are ungodly and you are scared to stop doing them. There are things in your life right now that you know you should do. And you're scared to do them. Because it means following and not knowing where you're going to go. There's some of us who need to take a fast from speaking for like three days because everything that comes out of our mouth is vitriolic and negative and reeks of insecurity. And we just need to spend a couple of days shutting up and saying nothing and seeing if the world still turns. Some of us need to get off social media for a week because you're like, a, you're like a, a, an addict, you know, like running back to it and, and, and feeding yourself more and more and more and more and, and allowing that jealousy flywheel to spin faster and faster and faster. You need to get off that. And part of it just needs to be, can I be content with who God's made me and where I am and who I've been called to be and can I trust that my life is in his hands? You're eating solid food when you do that, okay? So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pray for you, but remember there's three camps. There's the, hey, I'm cool, leave me alone camp. That's cool. Um, there's the, uh, it's not really cool, but we'll let you, that's fine. You're good. Um, and then there's the, hey, I want to believe camp. And then there's the, I believe, but I've been kind of like a big baby. Um, so we're going to pray for each one of those. And then you figure out where you're at and you do some business with God in your own heart. Okay. Let's pray together with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. If you're here today and, uh, you you just want to keep checking things out, just keep doing that. All right. And uh, just keep doing that and keep coming, but don't, don't stop coming. Just come and see what God does. Yeah, the Spirit of God works in your heart. Okay, the second group, if you're here today and you're ready to receive the gift of Jesus, just say, you know what? Today, God, I'm saying yes to you. Today, I'm opening my heart to you. Today, I'm surrendering my life and I'm asking that you forgive my sins and come into my heart. I need a Savior. My life's broken. I'm spiritually dead. And I need to be reborn. So do that. Today I call myself a Christian. Today I turn my life over to you. I got questions. I got issues. But I know in my heart right now what I'm asking for is real and true. And finally for those of us who have been putting our fish in a blender. Who have been refusing to grow up. Living a Peter Pan Christianity. God it's time to put the big boy pants on for us. It's time to stop living ruled by the flesh. And it's time to get serious about following the son of the living God. And to start looking like him. And to start acting like him. And to start believing that no matter what happens, you've got our lives. So God, we confess the immaturity. We confess the knee-jerk jealousies and the stuff that comes out of our mouth and the anger and the rage and the taking sides and the 
splitting hairs and the pushing ourselves away from others just to bolster ourselves up because we don't have the faith to trust you. God, heal us of that. And if there's decisions out there that you, we know we need to make, there's some demons we gotta slay. There's some stuff we gotta walk away from and there's some things we have to step into, but we've been staying put because we've been afraid to grow up. God, would your spirit bring us courage so that we can start doing some radical stuff, stuff that we've never done before and in so doing, get to the place that you intended us to be all along. Thank you that ours is not a weak and wimpy Christianity. Thank you that ours is not something where we just try to flatline everything and just hold hands and sing kumbaya, but where we create a certain level of chaos and create a certain level of challenge so that we can grow into who you have made us to be. It's in your amazing name I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for Him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info and we'll see you next time.